Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Of the Rad Adventures Network. Welcome to the first episode of Fantastic Fantasies, where we'll be talking about our favorite fantasy stories, whether they're movies, books, comics, or TV shows. The episodes in this series will be short summary-level discussions where we'll tell you what a title is about, who the main characters are, where it is set, when it was released, why we like it, and how we discovered it. Fantasies are a favorite genre of ours, and over the course of this show, we hope to talk about some of our all-time favorite characters, writers, films, and TV shows. Upcoming episodes will feature The Discworld series by Terry Pratchett The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne The Last Unicorn by Peter Beagle The Books of Robin McKinley The Films of Ray Harryhausen TV shows like Hercules, Xena, Merlin, and Robin of Sherwood Movies like Dragon Slayer, Time Bandits, and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And legends like King Arthur. Fantastic Fantasies is part of the Rad Adventures Network. If you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. And Xenozoic Xenophiles covers the post-apocalyptic adventure series Xenozoic Tales, featuring Cadillacs and Dinosaurs by writer and artist Mark Schultz. But it's time to talk about our first fantastic fantasy right after this promo from another podcast you may enjoy. Adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. across and, and you know what? Men too. Well, uh, 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 Stella. Men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers, pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas? As much as I enjoy um, indulging your insanity, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh yes, required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome. There is no way to start a podcast about our favorite fantasy stories without talking about the world of Middle-earth created by J.R.R. Tolkien. These stories include The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and The Silmarillion, and were written by John Ronald Rule Tolkien, better known as J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien was a university professor who specialized in the study of languages, and as a hobby, he invented new languages, and he felt a need to invent characters to speak those new languages. 
He was grading papers one day in the early 1930s when the phrase, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit, popped into his head, and the idea of Middle Earth was born. Tolkien began to write passages that became bedtime stories that he read to his son Christopher. The stories grew and expanded into a single adventure that became the book The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, which was published in 1937. The story was set in the distant past during a long-forgotten age, thus the name Middle-earth, meaning a period of time in the middle between the dawn of time and the modern world. It was a story of elves, dwarves, wizards, humans, and hobbits, who were small human-like beings who were kind and gentle and lived in harmony with the earth and nature. Tolkien took inspiration from Norse mythology, the Welsh language, Celtic mythology, and Anglo-Saxon runes in creating the languages of Middle-earth. Tolkien designed the cover of the book himself and drew several interior illustrations as well as maps to accompany the story. The book was originally about 300 pages long and was a fun all-ages story for adults and children alike. The book was an immediate success and the publisher wanted a sequel and Tolkien began working on one. However, World War II began and Tolkien's son went off to serve in the military. It was a dark time in the real world and as a result the sequel became darker and much longer. Tolkien had read the early drafts of the stories from The Hobbit to his son Christopher when he was a child, and he sent drafts of the sequel to his now adult son Christopher while he was serving in the Royal Air Force. The sequel became The Lord of the Rings and was more than 1,200 pages long and was finally ready for publication in 1954. Tolkien intended for the story to be published in a single volume that was divided into six books, which he titled The Ring Sets Out, The Ring Goes South, The Treason of Isengard, the Ring Goes East, The War of the Ring, and The End of the Third Age. However, in post-war England, the publisher could not justify that much paper for a print run of such a large book, and instead released the book in three volumes, with each containing two of the six books within the main volume. These three books are now what we know as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which include The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. The volumes were released several months apart from July 1954 to October 1955 and included maps drawn by Christopher Tolkien. While the book was critically acclaimed, The Lord of the Rings was not an immediate hit with audiences who liked The Hobbit, but that wasn't surprising with the dark change in tone. However, the themes of the story resonated with the counterculture movement of the 1960s, and its popularity began to grow with slogans like Frodo Lives and Gandalf for President being common in the 60s. Together, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings created a subgenre in fantasy literature called high fantasy, which are stories defined by their epic scope and themes. During the decades that followed the book's release, they have been adapted into plays, board games, video games, and have even become the subject of literary courses in colleges. And Tolkien continued to tweak his creation in his later years. He revised sections of The Hobbit for a new edition to align the story more directly to the events in The Lord of the Rings. He also included extensive appendices in the back of The Return of the King that provided more details about the history of Middle-earth, as well as more than 100 pages of additional side stories that occurred during the time of The Hobbit that weren't featured in the original book. The books have remained so popular since their publication that they have never been out of print. Another thing of interest was that during Tolkien's time at Oxford, when he was writing The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, he was a member of a literary discussion group called The Inklings, who met regularly at the pub The Eagle and The Child. The members of the group would share drafts of their books and offer suggestions to each other. Another member of the group was C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, which we'll cover on a future episode. Sadly, Tolkien's wife, Edith, became ill in 1969 and passed away in 1971, and Tolkien himself passed away in 1973. The names written on their tombstones are Luthien and Baron. 
In Middle-earth, Luthien was the most beautiful elf who ever lived, and she gave up her immortality to be with a human, Baron. In addition to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien wrote many other stories that took place in Middle-earth. For many years, he worked on The Silmarillion, which focused on the age of elves long before the time of hobbits. Following his death, his son Christopher collected the stories that comprised The Silmarillion, and it was published in 1977 and Christopher continued to collect many other Middle-earth stories that his father wrote, which were released in subsequent volumes, including The Unfinished Tales, The Book of Lost Tales, and The History of Middle-earth. The books were a cultural phenomenon, and were even the subject of many popular songs from groups including Genesis, Led Zeppelin, Styx, Black Sabbath, and many others. The Beatles were also fans of The Lord of the Rings and wanted to make a film adaptation. They approached acclaimed director Stanley Kubrick to make the film, but he convinced them the book could not be made into a live-action movie using the techniques available at the time. An animated adaptation of The Hobbit was made by Rankin Bass for TV in 1977, and in 1978, animator Ralph Bakshi released a theatrical film adapting the first half of The Lord of the Rings. The theatrical film was moderately successful, and he planned to release a second film to finish the story, but financial plans for the sequel fell through. In 1980, Rankin-Bass animated The Return of the King for TV as a standalone sequel to their earlier adaptation of The Hobbit. And then in the late 1990s, an up-and-coming director from New Zealand named Peter Jackson began pursuing the idea of filming The Hobbit. However, for many years, the film rights had been sold from company to company, since no one could figure out a way to adapt the books. This had complicated the rights so much that Jackson gave up on the idea of adapting The Hobbit, and instead switched to the idea of filming The Lord of the Rings, because the rights were much more straightforward. Jackson was able to convince New Line Cinema to finance the films by showing them that filming all three movies simultaneously would make them significantly cheaper and therefore more likely to be profitable. Production began in New Zealand in 1999, with the three films released in 2001, 2002, and 2003. The films were immediate hits with both critics and the public. The films collectively earned more than $3 billion at the box office, and each film was nominated for multiple Oscars, with all three films being nominated for Best Picture. The third film, The Return of the King, won all 11 Oscars that it was nominated for, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. An interesting bit of trivia from the movies was the casting of veteran actor Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee first read the books as they were originally published in the 1950s, and he immediately became a fan, and he made it a tradition to reread the books every year for the rest of his life. Lee was fortunate to meet J.R.R. Tolkien during his lifetime, and Tolkien agreed that he would be perfect for the role of the wizard Gandalf if the films were ever made, and that was the role Lee always aspired to. However, by the time the films were made, Christopher Lee was too old to take on such a large role, but he was cast as the Wizard Saruman and relished the opportunity to be part of the films. With the success of The Lord of the Rings, plans began almost immediately to adapt The Hobbit, but the complicated film rights took several years to resolve before the book was finally adapted into three films that were released in 2012, 2013, and 2014. The Hobbit films were again a financial success and collectively earned just under $3 billion. That's a lot about the history of the Middle-Earth series, but now let's share a little about our history with the stories. I've read the books many times over the years. My father first gave me a copy of The Hobbit when I was 11, and I've been a fan ever since. My father had read the books, so I was always aware of the series, but I didn't read it myself until college when The Fellowship of the Ring was included in a literature class, and I continued reading the other books after finishing that class. 
In addition to reading the books, we've listened to multiple audio adaptations over the years, including a BBC dramatization and unabridged audiobooks, and we've played many of the board games and video games that have been based on the series. And then came the movies. Since we were already fans of the books, we followed the production of the films very closely from the beginning, and remember seeing photos from the set during the earliest days of production. Director Peter Jackson was very supportive of the early fans, and actually started a fan club for the films before they were ever released. And a bonus for those early fans was having our names listed in the closing credits of the extended edition DVDs. We've managed to see the movies at theaters many more times over the years, including theatrical screenings of the extended editions. Plus, our local art museum has shown the movies at their large outdoor cinema, and we were very lucky to see The Fellowship of the Ring at an outdoor screening with a live orchestra. We've also been fortunate to attend a couple of conventions based on the series, including a small convention in Seattle and the large One Ring Celebration, also known as Orc in Pasadena. Where we met our friends Barry and Margaret Ann. Our favorite convention, DragonCon, has also featured a Middle-Earth programming track for many years. And the most wonderful Middle-Earth excursion we've had was the opportunity to visit Middle-Earth itself, which is beautiful New Zealand. We were able to go with Red Carpet Tours in 2004, which is a company started by Vic James, a local New Zealander and travel agent who loves the films. It was a magical two-week trip filled with traditional tourist destinations, as well as specific locations from the Lord of the Rings films. One week was spent on the North Island, and one week on the South Island. The tour included stops in Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, and Queenstown, and featured tourist destinations including the Mirror Lakes, Hooker Falls, beautiful Milford Sound, and Mitre Peak, which is the mountain used for the Paramount Pictures logo. Filming locations included a visit to Hobbiton, which is near Matamata. Victoria Park, where the hobbits hid under large tree roots to avoid the ringwraith. Harcourt Park, which was the location of the beautiful gardens of Isengard, where the wizard Saruman lived. The semi-active volcanoes in Tongariro National Park, which include Mount Ruapehu, which served as the Emin Will, where Frodo and Sam first met Gollum, and Mount Naruhoi, which was Mount Doom. Fernside at Featherston, which was the location of Galadriel's Land of Lothlorien. A beautiful green gorge in central Notigo, where the orcs carried Merry and Pippin after capturing them. Mount Sunday, which was the location of the Golden Hall of Edoras, which was the land of King Theoden. Deer Park Heights near Queenstown, where the Rohan refugees stopped on the way to Helm's Deep. The Mavora Lakes, where Frodo and Sam depart by boat at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. Closeburn in Glen Oki was the site of Amon Hen, where Frodo tells Aragorn he is leaving the Fellowship. Twelve Mile Delta, which was the site of Ithilien, where Faramir captures Frodo and Sam. We flew by helicopter over a stunning mountain range called the Remarkables, which was used as the border to Mordor. And then we landed at the remote Shotover River near Arrowtown, which was the ford of Brunan, where Arwen commanded the waters to wash away the ringwraiths. Red Carpet Tours still has one of these two-week tours almost every month, and the tour now includes locations from the more recent Hobbit movies in addition to The Lord of the Rings. New Zealand was easily one of the most magical places we've ever visited, and my parents joined us for the trip, which made it even more special. And we made many new friends on that wonderful trip, including Linda and her son Nick from England. Nick and Ilsa from Belgium. Chris and Lynn from Australia. And Jamie and Sharon and their daughter Christine from Australia. And we've all stayed in touch ever since. We definitely hope we can make a return trip one of these days. The world of Middle-earth that J.R.R. Tolkien created is so rich that we can't cover it all in one episode, so you can expect us to revisit the world in the future. I'm sure we'll do an episode specifically about The Hobbit, and another that focuses on The Lord of the Rings, but we'll wait a few episodes before we cover those so we can talk about some other favorite fantasies. 
And you're probably wondering what's on the horizon for Middle-earth. And that would be a brand new television series. The series will be set in the world of Middle-earth during the time between the end of The Hobbit and the beginning of The Lord of the Rings. The series is being produced by Amazon and will be featured on their Prime Video Streaming service. Beyond that, very little is known about the series at this time, but we'll definitely be watching when it premieres. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about Middle-earth. And we want to dedicate this episode to our nephew, Jason, who is also a big fan of the worlds of J.R.R. Tolkien. We've shared many wonderful conversations with Jason about the books, movies, and games over the years, and we look forward to many more conversations in the years ahead. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be right back with our wrap-up and contact information. In 1915, the world went to war. Nations in Europe met across muddy fields in a conflict that stretched across empires across the world. This is in history books. John Adams' story of the First World War is found in the letters he wrote back home to his mother. John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast presents these letters a hundred years after they were written. Follow John Adams' story through joining the army, training and deployment on the Western Front, through his hopes and fears, frustrations and injuries, we see the personal side of a global conflict. You can find John Adams' personal journey podcast every month on johnadams.org.uk forward slash letters or on iTunes under John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast. These are his words, read by his grandchildren and narrated by his great-grandchildren. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. You can write us directly at radadventuresnetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Rad Adventures Network. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. You can listen to the show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And you can even find the show on YouTube under Rad Adventures Network. And you can always visit radadventuresnetwork.com, where you'll find all of the episodes of all of our podcasts, including Trekker Talk about 23rd Century Bounty Hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, including the Warlord John Sable and Green Arrow, and Xenozoic Xenophiles about the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs series Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. While you won't find a specific place to review Fantastic Fantasies, we hope you'll leave a review under Rad Adventures Network. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next time for another new episode of Fantastic Fantasies. Rad Adventures Network is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network at comicspodcast.com. The theme music is from the album Royalty Free Music Volume 3 for cinema, commercials, and radio. We make no money from this podcast, and no copyright infringement is intended. Music